So you go up and up and up and up. And now I'm on this like ridgeline and literally I'm holding onto my hat. I got one arm around a hoodoo and I was like, okay, just have a breath. Cause I could feel the fear. It's thundering. The sky is black. There's not a soul around. Again, I was like, where's the mountain lion about to jump out and have lunch. And it's windy. And I'm like, I'm only like 115 pounds. Like I could totally get blown off this ridge. And then I just like felt my arm on, on the clay and I just relaxed. And I asked that piece of earth to just give me the power. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and this is episode 213. Today I'm here with Coach Beach, and we are going to smack down my experience at the Bryce Canyon Ultra 50-mile race that I completed almost just a week ago. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who's choosing to listen to the show. You guys want to support us? Share the show with your friends. You know, we're on a mission to create a better world, and that is our intent with every word we speak, every post we put out there, every podcast that is launched is, you know, to encourage everyone to just turn their eyeballs around and look inside just a little bit, just pay attention a little more, and that, I believe, is what will begin to heal this world. So thank you for your support. Thank you for every like that you've given us every time you've talked about the show, every email that you guys have sent us about how the show has made a difference in your life. And I just want to put that right back on you and say that the show has served as the catalyst for you to make a difference in your life. We have everything we need right now, you guys. And um, it is that just turning inward to find it. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. We are incredibly grateful for you. We hope you've been enjoying the yoga classes. $10 a month right now. You're getting live yoga classes every week. For $20 a month, you are getting the recordings for every class. And you have seven days for those recordings before they expire. So if you are making a difference in your life because of this podcast, because of the conversations, because of the intent that we're putting out in the world as a collective, consider making a pledge over at Patreon so we can keep the show going and we can keep it going in a way that is commercial free. All right, so I am going to hand the mic over to my husband and my coach who is going to run this show. I get to run the show. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Temp, temp, Temporary. For the next 54 <laughs> minutes, we're, you get to run the show. We're going to count down those <laughs> minutes <laughs> one by one. Yeah, I, this is such a, uh important time to, to do a SmackDown because with everything that's happening and no races and people, you know, sort of climbing the walls, figuring out what their purpose is and what their motives are and who they truly are as as athletes we were great we were granted this uh this race in bryce from vacation races you had signed up a while ago and it's one of the ones that has continually kept their momentum moving forward moving from presence to see um and check with everyone to make sure that they could have the race and so the race was still on you got, so you signed up for this race and 
you had been training for the 100 miler in Tahoe. So this is supposed to be a lead up to Tahoe. Yeah. And I will say that now that I know the landscape of this race and I know the landscape of Tahoe, uh, it's a really good prep. A really good prep. Yeah, for sure. But then what happened to Tahoe? Tahoe was canceled a couple months ago. Yeah, maybe a couple months ago at this point. Uh, by, the end, by the end of April, um, you know, I think we all have lost track of time. <laughs> so <laughs> at some point between March 17th, which was really the last day that I, we were like free to do whatever we wanted, um, Tahoe did get canceled. But Bryce was still on. And although people were telling me, well, that's going to get canceled too. That's going to get canceled too. I just kept training for it because it wasn't canceled. So why would I take the word of somebody else why wouldn't I take the word of the race itself that says we're still moving forward? And they had said that they were going to make a decision by the end of April. And they made that decision to keep it going. And man, getting that email, it was just like Bryce Canyon Ultras is on. And I was like, I am so on too. Like, I was just really excited. And yeah, so I never let that momentum drop, uh, which is so important. I mean, race canceled or not. I know the importance of momentum. If I'm not furthering it every day in the direction of the life that I desire and I dream of and the one that's on my heart, then I'm going to create momentum in the opposite direction. And I don't, that just doesn't work for me. I don't want to create momentum in the opposite direction. So how did things shift? Talking of momentum, how did things shift when you knew, so you'd been training for 100 and then there is no 100 and now you're training for a 50? Like what, what happened in that window there? What shifted? Nothing shifted. Nothing shifted. Um, I was training for 100, and then I had a 50. And the thing was is that I was set and ready to go for a 50. And I'm so glad that leading into this 50, I was training for 100 because I kind of feel like training for 100 is what this race required. Yeah, we soon found out this course. And I say we. I only did the final four hours with you. Um, very little short snippet of the course but yeah from what you have shared so far it's a pretty uh unrelenting um terrain yeah they say I was reading in the race guide the day before that you know it's their most challenging course in their in their catalog of races and really you got to check these guys out it's vacationraces.com they don't just have ultras they have half marathons they have like wine country you know retreats and festivals and things like that so check them out they're they really really um i think deserve the kudos and and the um and the support they're amazing i, I they're risk takers and i love it well, what really caught what really caught my eye was the was the video they did that you were watching i remember this so clearly downstairs in in our place at the at the bar um and they just kept things so matter of fact and you were listening intently on what's happening, like where they were coming from, what their message was. And they kept coming back to the awareness of if this doesn't align with you, if this race doesn't align with you, you can walk away. It's totally fine. And the great thing about that is they give all their registrants the option to go next year or the year after or another race. They, oh, they have like flexible options. Yeah, they really, they gave you a ton of options. You could sell your bib. They actually created oh, right. yeah. a thread on their own Facebook page um, so that it could be less confusing for people to sell their bibs. And uh, you could transfer your bib to another um, 
athlete and you could also transfer your registration to I think any of their other races but there wasn't any refunds which I think is totally acceptable because let's say you signed up for the race and something happened in your life and you couldn't go you wouldn't expect a refund would you I don't know maybe Mm -hmm. some people would Um, so it's, you know, you invest in yourself and it's not just race day, you guys, it's the investment is every single day it's paying itself off because it's bringing you to a higher level as an athlete and a human, because if anybody has trained for endurance sports, you know that it, you know, it does force you to look inside. And, um, and that's really why Yogi Triathlete was born is yoga and, and Ironman training brought me to the same place from very different paths. And I thought, what if we brought them together and we didn't have to wait to get there? We already were there and that is how we raced and trained. What would that be like? And now we know because that's what we've been living for many, many years. Yeah, it's the process versus the outcome. So if we invest in the process, the day-to-day stuff, then the outcome will take care of itself. Yeah, and you know, it's do my motto for life is do everything with love and without attachment. Yeah, that attachment gets. I feel like there should be like a little ding (laughs) for everybody to just really soak that in. What if you did everything in your life with love and non attachment? How would your relationships change? How would your racing change? How would your training change? How how would your um, trying to figure out what race to do, like everything in your life, how would it change? And it's not instantaneous, it's a day-to-day practice, but what if you had the skill, you invested in yourself and you had the skill to do everything with love and without attachment? I think that's a game changer. I think lives would sparkle. I think um, people would get lit up with um, opportunities versus lack, lack, the sense of lack. Yeah. yeah. I really do. Well, I think we'd remove the hell on earth that exists. I mean, it, it exists. We've been seeing it as of late as well. Um, and I'm thinking about our interview with Brian Kest, you know, that our greatest addiction is our addiction to this virus of the mind. And, um, and until we address that, um, we're going to be doing things with attachment because the mind attaches to everything. So, so um, yeah, so... Let's get into the race. Let's do it. <laughs> so, Bryce Canyon. Never been there. High, hot, and dry. <laughs> we soon realized how how warm it was. Well, it was very typical of a Gumkowski um, family trip. It's like we get there and we're like, whoa, it's hot. It's dry. You know, we live at 15 feet and a quarter mile from the ocean. So, that climate hit us pretty good. But it felt it felt like Boulder. When we lived in Boulder, it felt like that dryness um, right away, the dry nose and, and the sleeping. So, all right, so tell me, about, um, tell me about your approach going into this race. So you knew the terrain, you knew the cutoffs, you knew, you know, the gear bags, and you did your due diligence. But what was your approach? Like, where was your mindset even before stepping foot onto that start line? Well, it was really interesting underneath everything I was it was carrying like this almost this like rock of energy within me that felt like dread it was really interesting I don't even think I share that with you and um so 
I knew that I had a choice to give that attention or not to give it attention. There was something deep inside me that was like kind of scared. And um, so my approach, you know, was when we were driving on Thursday, my approach was to just drive on Thursday. When I was resting and loading up on food on Friday, it was just like I didn't have to race yet. And this feeling that I had inside this, it really was, it was like a dread. It was weird to the point where I was like, I wonder if I'm going to die on Saturday. Like, I wonder if I'm going to transition, if I'm going to leave my body. And I was like, it doesn't matter if I do or I don't die on Saturday. (laughs) Right now, I'm hanging in the tiny house with my legs up, watching the office, eating pancakes and hanging with my boys. So why am I going to wreck this moment by something that may or may not happen tomorrow? So the best thing that I can do is prepave my experience. And I prepave my experience by tapping into that calm, tapping into that peace, that power, strength, and belief in myself that can really only be found in the present moment. So my approach was like everything else, you know, my intention was that I was going to go out there and I was going to give it my all because that's what I do. And I've done that for a long time, whatever my all looks like. And it was also to finish what I started, no matter what came my way. Um, Yeah, I mean, my intention was to go out there and connect with Mother Nature, to knowingly put myself in a situation where there would be intense sensation in my body and work to further strengthen my identity as something that is not the body or the mind or the thoughts. So for me, race day is always a yoga practice. I mean, I make my life a meditation. That that statement, make your life a meditation, was dropped in my awareness many years ago. And that's what I do every day. I want to make my life a meditation. And sometimes that means I got to pump the brakes and remember like, whoa, you're halfway through cutting this pepper for dinner tonight and you don't even remember it. So come back to the moment and and merge your awareness in with the activity, which is the definition of flow. This is the flow state. So I wasn't going to wait until race day to practice that. So I was practicing it in each moment leading up to it. And, you know, yeah, perhaps maybe the nervous system knew that something big was coming. And then the mind likes the dramatic. So it wants to label it as like, well, what if you die? And then who I truly am is not the body or the mind or the thoughts. So who I truly am is like, you know, so what? (laughs) So what? Um, If I'm truly practicing non-attachment, that includes my life here on earth. I mean, I know that that, that's crazy, right? People, People will be like, all right, turn the podcast off. This girl is doesn't know what she's talking about. But that's this is my practice. This is where I am in my practice. Um, so yeah, it's just practicing presence every moment leading up to the race so that I can practice presence every moment during the race. Doing the work before the actual work. Yeah. The work needs to be done. Does that done answer your question? It does, yeah. 
I mean, like, I kind of expected that. Yeah. I mean, I've got my, my human approaches like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to crush it. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to like pass as many people as I can. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to nail my nutrition. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can. Um, but all of that is almost like it's the byproduct of what I'm really doing. Which is the day-to-day focus on more presence. Yeah. Yeah. So did anything shift during the day in your mindset? Let's, how, well, first of all, let's, how long did it take you to, to do this race? Um, I think the clock time was just under 14 hours. So okay. when I, and obviously that's clock time. So from the time I crossed the starting line to when I crossed the finish line and including 8,000 P stops and um, a little bit of like hashing it out at the Red Canyon aid station after I did that yeah, I wanna, crazy I wanna, loop. We'll talk about that. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so just under 14 hours. Okay. And what is a, so they, they had a unique start too. How did the start go? So one of the alterations that they made to the race based on the COVID regulations essentially was a rolling start. So the 100 mile started at 5 a.m. and they had from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. to begin. Uh, The 50 mile started at 6 a.m. and I had from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. to begin. And then they also had a 60K, 50K and a 30K. Um, So I had just immediately kind of thought like, I'll start somewhere between 6.15 and you know, 6.30. And when I looked at my watch when I crossed the, crossed the starting line and it was 6.20. So it was kind of funny. Like we just kind of pulled up and Vera was there. Um, Vera's been on the podcast. She was awesome. She totally hooked you up, BJ, um, throughout the day. And I saw Vera and that was it. It was like Vera and you and um, Vera was with a girl. Her name was Alexis. And um, it was like, okay. <laughs> see ya. And I ran through the starting line, hit the starting mat. And I kind of turned around thinking that you guys would all be like watching me and cheering me. And you guys had already like turned around and you were walking away. I was like, all right, I'm on my own. Let's go do it. I love that. I love the, the, um, the staggered start. I just feel it just, it was really funny, wasn't it? It it was like, there was nobody there. There was not even a race director. It looks like the race wasn't happening that day. (laughs) There's just those big the big structure to, to go under and then you start. Yeah, you it was really cool and it was quiet in Proctor Canyon. So the beginning of the race you go, I think it's like you climb like around 700 feet, but it's pretty gradual because we came down that way, right? Like it didn't seem like a lot, but it's this gradual climb and it's in this canyon and I'm like in the, it's like just starting to be, you know, sunrise and um, the birds are singing, and on one side it looks like Lake Tahoe, and on the other side it looks like, you know, Bryce Canyon, basically. And I'm looking up on these buttes, and and uh, you know, I'm just waiting to see like that mountain lion up there, like looking. And then I, I was like, why? Why are you actively calling a mountain lion to you right now? Because that's exactly what you're doing. So I just got like got calm and um, just kept moving forward. But it was also it's like, what do you want to focus on? You know, obviously I'm in this canyon. It's you know the early morning. What am I going to focus on? So I focused on the birds singing, and I focused on looking at the the trees, and I focused on the the foot strike. Again, coming back to that present moment. Sometimes you got to pump the brakes. 
And um, yeah, it was the starting line was great. It was fun. No pressure. No pressure whatsoever. It's almost the gift to the athletes that were anticipating the unknown. Although I did feel like very, I felt ill that morning. Remember we were driving and I was like, God, I feel like I'm going to throw up. So whatever that rock of dread was, was starting to break down, I believe. And once I started, it was gone. There's no dread. So how did you, how did you navigate the, the race in terms of, you talk about being present and feeling your feet and hearing the birds, but you were coming up upon aid stations here and there and actually gear bags every now and then. How did that focus shift? Were there moments of, I need to just get to this next aid station and that's, that's the next checkpoint? Or were you noticing those thoughts and coming back to, okay, I just need to keep walking here, just or running or run walk or staying in solution energy? Yeah, well, it's, you know, I know where the next aid station is. So it's like, okay, let me just get, so I'm breaking down, you know, I've done this since Ironman days. It's like just aid station, aid station. So knowing that, you know, that's my next destination is the aid station. And then just experiencing the moment and always taking advantage of connection with people as, um, as I would pass them. And it was so, the gratitude was incredibly high because we were talking, like me and the other runners out there, we're talking about how literally we were the only people in the world that were being given this gift. And some people I would say that too, and they would be like, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Thank you. Like I was having a tough moment. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, I got to keep things in perspective. But most people were just like, we are so blessed. And that's how I left everybody. Like, I would just be like, we are so blessed. And I would just kind of keep running along. Um, so I had some really fun interactions with some people and um, got their names. And yeah, like people, I don't know. It's just, there's so many meaningful, anybody who's done an ultra marathon on the trail um, knows that you have this opportunity to make these really meaningful connections with people because unless you're at the front of the pack, nobody's in a huge rush, right? Um, and at my level, I'm not in a huge rush, although it's the best I can do always. And then getting to that finish line as fast as possible, but not at the sacrifice of these meaningful connections that I can make. Sort of like the guy that came up hot behind us yelling, San, San Diego. Diego. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. San Diego. Yeah, that was his first, <laughs> was his first ultra marathon was doing the Bryce Canyon 50. He was crushing the last and three miles from what I saw. I saw those guys at like mile four and passed them. There were these two guys from Minnesota and they were telling me how they got like 2,000 feet of vert one day going up and down the staircase. Like they, cause I was like, we're like, I can't believe you guys trained through the winter. And you know, we were just chit chatting. And then I was like, I'll see you guys again. And then at the very end, he just came out of the gate and I never saw the other guy again. So he must've finished behind us. And yeah, he left him in the dust. Yeah, San Diego. He was cruising. They were great. <laughs> they were really sweet guys. They were, I think they were young. They were in the national guard and they were just about to get, um, shipped off to West Africa where they were going to be stationed there for a while. So this was kind of their final thing in the States and then they were going to go to West Africa. So besides the human connection that you made, the human connections, how, what, was the, what was the venue like? What was the environment and your surroundings? And give us a picture of that. I only saw a little bit of the end, but... The, it's like this ever-changing ever, ever changing landscape. That's the best way I can describe it. I mean... 
One moment you're in deep sand in a canyon. The next moment you're in pine trees on a single track. The next moment you're up on a plateau and you're in a bright green meadow where you're just running across this meadow. And then, you know, it's that, it's that combination of things um, the whole time. It's just ever-changing landscape the whole time. Breathtaking. Yeah, it was stunning. It was yeah. really stunning. Very powerful. And, you know, I remember training for Ironman like Placid. We would go up there and we would train. And I remember always saying like, there's not one, the reason, one of the reasons I loved Lake Placid so much is because there's not one ounce of that course that you don't look around and see a very powerful view of nature. And so I practiced that as I trained for Placid and as I raced Placid a couple times, I did that race, I would always ask the mountains to share their power with me. And so that's a practice that I've done since then. And that's what I did on these days to look around and see these hoodoos and these, um, you know, columnar structures and the buttes and the mesas and the, and then boom, bright green field. And, and then you're in a dirt road and you, then you're like in the pine trees and to, just to see all of the landscape and how different it was all in one place. It just, it reminded me of like humanity, right? Like we have, we're all, individualized reflections of of light and we look different and we talk different and we have different baggage yes you have baggage everybody has baggage but we all come together on this earth to express ourselves and um and that nature is just like expressing itself all day long so i would always remind myself to you know i always ask like that course to welcome me in. I ask for the privilege for safe passage. I always ask that. And I and I I hold the environment in great reverence because mother nature is extremely powerful. So, yeah, pulling the power, asking the power to be shared with me and 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 knowing that I'm not separate from those hoodoos. I'm not separate from those pine trees. I'm not separate from that guy that came running down the trail yelling at I'm not separate from any of that. So what if I just merged in with it and became it? And wouldn't that allow for, you know, a smoother ride? Yeah, I love that. I think I need to do that more. <laughs> I saw the, I only saw like the end of the course, but it was powerful. The, the rock structures, the cliffs, the red. I think the red really captured my attention. And then we went into that red um, snaked path where it was just, the trees were kind of barren. It was like red clay, sandish. And sometimes we were right on the edge, sometimes we weren't. And then you look over to the right and it was, it was all green, like deep, deep green pastures and trees. Yeah, there was so much contrast there. There was so much. And I tried to catch you a few times with the foot taking photos and video um in and out and you know you were at that point you were doing a run walk you were walking running this is in the later stages you were at least 10 plus hours into the race at that point um how do you feel your body held up because you've been doing a lot of work in your uh, mobility and strengthening for almost i want to say a year at least now uh, are you a different runner and how did you feel that durability 
show up. I felt, I felt like the foundation never cracked. I felt like I had fatigue. I had, I had fatigue. It was, it was, yeah, I had fatigue, but the foundation, I don't feel like it ever cracked. I don't feel like I ever had a crack in the foundation. I don't feel like I ever had a breakdown. I don't feel like I ever had a breakdown in my run form. I really don't. The way I felt like I was holding myself, the foot strike felt the same that it did at the beginning. It was just the weight of my legs felt intensely different from the beginning to the end. But I don't feel like the, there was any breakdown in my foundation at all. And you took, um, you took it pretty light leading into this race. Like the week leading in, your run volume went down. Though... Two, or two weeks. Two weeks before, but I was having some hip, some hip flexor sensation, which was not allowing me to even run. So I went from like a 62-mile week to like a still a 26-mile week. And then, the, and then I think I had a 40-mile 40, 40 week the week before race week. So it wasn't down too significantly. It felt like it went way down because right. when you go from 60-whatever miles to 26, that feels like it goes way down. I think that's a key storyline in our lives. I want to say that the, in our experiences racing, the things that we feel in the weeks leading into a race are never the things that show up and show on, on race day, and, but they give us the opportunity to indulge in, in the, um, the what ifs this appears on race day. Yeah. And nothing really showed up on race day. Nothing. I had no. Well, your little badass self showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a, just a testament to the strength work. Like if you are considering doing, getting into trail running, um, doing ultra running and you're not doing foundational strength work, you're not going to have a lot of longevity. I really don't believe that. I really think you got to get, I mean, I guess this goes for everything. I'm just, it's rel it feels relative because um, because I'm doing it on the trail. But same with Ironman. Like you gotta be doing these this foundational work, core work, glutes, getting those glutes activated. You you gotta you gotta get going on that if you're not going on it now. So um, yeah, it's been that's been invaluable. Well, I think that the the time frame of these races. So you start to get into you know, five hours, six hours, 10 hours, you're only going to break down, right? It, exhaustion, and you're going to fall into old patterns over time. So if you can get that strength and that foundational work under wrap, you know, you get it solid, then you can prolong that time that you're able to stay together. One of the things I did do is I put my poles in my drop bag to be picked up at um, the 38 mile mark because I thought, well, maybe I'll want them for the last part of the race just to help with the climbing. Now, had I known what I know now, I would have picked those poles up before. So you go to this aid station called Red Canyon where their drop bag is. I would have picked those poles up and done the Red Canyon loop with those poles because the Red Canyon loop took that was a huge withdrawal. That was a huge withdrawal late in the race. And, but when I came out of that, I was like, I'm using my poles. And I'm so glad I did because those climbs at that last 13 miles, those, I want to say those were some of the steepest climbs we did all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have comparison um, for it, but I can just say that that was 
unrelenting up and down. You couldn't really find a rhythm. Although I did capture probably the most steady five minute section of trail that was flat, somewhat downhill that I caught on video with you, with you running. But other than that, we were either walking or hiking, maybe a little bit of running. Um, yeah, so it was undulating. So the poles really helped. So that's, that's cool. Do you want to start answering some questions? Yeah, let's dive in. All right. All right. This is from Pam. I would like to know your mantra throughout this race and your meditation experience leading up to the race. So in years past, I've used a mantra like consistently throughout. Like there were times at Ironman where I would do a mantra for every step of the marathon. I mean, every step of the marathon. And one of the ones that I used, again, Ironman like Placid was, I can do miraculous things with very little effort. I love that one. I can do miraculous things with very little effort. I did that from start to finish, which was an amazing practice in concentrating the mind. What a great practice to concentrate the mind. So what do, is that what mantras are for? Yeah, mantras help to focus the mind. We ha- the goal of meditation is to make the mind one-pointed. So have, be able to tell the mind where you want it, keep it there as long as you want it to be there. That you're in charge of the monkey on the vine. You say, here's the vine, now stay here, right? Just like we do with Clark, like stay. And I will let you know when you can move about. And I do think that it's a good exercise as well, just like with Clark. We'll take him out in the field and we'll take his leash off and we'll say, go run, go be crazy. And I think it's important even just five minutes a day to just let the mind run. But, but because I've lived a life where the mind was running all the time and in effect running my life, I can tell you that it's, it's not the ideal way to live. The ideal way to live is to train that monkey and be in charge. So a mantra, especially when you're racing, is a really great way to keep the mind focused, to keep you in the present moment, because if you think about it, the, the mantra is happening right now. So, um, so that said, um, my mantra for this that I used in a few spots was, I'm not the doer. I'm not the doer. When we believe that we are the body, that's where all of a sudden it's all up to us. We got to get the good job. We got to earn the good money. We got to go out and do this 13 mile run. We got to, oh my God, I got to do these fart. I got to do this fartlet workout. I've got to do these intervals. I got to go to the, I got to go to the store. Like it's all on us. We got to do it all. And I would say that that is um, one of our biggest flaws as humans is that we believe that we are the body and we are not the body. So um, if we are not the body, then we're not the doer. The, the, the human is such a, a tiny little piece of what's available. You know, we know from science that, um, that only five to 10% of this universe is what we see, is our physical reality, what we can hear, see, taste, smell, touch. That's like 5 to 10 I'm being a little generous here. I think it's more like around 5%. That means there is 95, 90 to 95% of undiscovered universe. And if everything is energy and at its essence is light energy, 
That is all non-physical support that we can pull in and help to aid this human that we are here to live and express. So I am not the doer is, um, is a lovely mantra that I have found so helpful, especially at the end of races. Like, whoa, what are you getting so dramatic about? Like, you're not even the doer. Like, just be done, you know? You are just, being done. Yeah, be done. Be done by the energy that creates worlds. And as soon as, in my experience, I shift over to the I'm not the doer, because I'll forget. I fall into the land of forgotten, and I think, oh, my God, another hill. And then I go, hold on. Not only am I the hill, I am not the doer. I, am, I have the energy that creates worlds coursing through my veins, flowing under my feet. It's what's holding this trail in place. It's what's rotating the earth. Like, I'm not the doer. So I allow to be done. And, um, and that is always an immediate shift that I feel in the relaxation of my body, the decrease of sensation in my body, and my ability to even pick up the pace. Is when you take the weight of the world off your shoulders and you allow that non-physical support to do what it wants to do because it loves you, which is to assist you to live your highest expression here on earth. So I'm not the doer, Pam. That was my, um, that was my mantra. And so what is your meditation practice look like leading into the race? So meditation practice doesn't change. It doesn't change. Um, when, you know, that said, it has changed over the years because 10 years ago, I would be like, 10 days out, I'm going to visualize the race for the entire meditation, you know? And that's what I did. And that really helped me because we know from science that, that when the mind believes it's already been there and it's done it, when you show up on race day, it's not such a big deal to the nervous system and to the mind. What I didn't know back then is that, yeah, you can visualize, you can see it, but that's not as helpful as you think. You got to feel it. So I consider that to be envisioning where you're feeling the experience because the feeling is the creation. So, um, so that said, my meditation itself didn't change much, but I did spend time. What I would do at the beginning is I would bring, surround myself in white light, and then I would see myself and feel myself in a place of calm. So no matter what comes my way, mountain lion, falling on the trail, forgetting my nutrition, I want to navigate all of that from a place of calm because when we are calm, we are invincible. I want to be invincible. I really, I really don't um, particularly care to be anything but. So um, I would envision myself as like a ball of light. And I didn't know the course on foot, but I knew what the course map looked like. And I knew what the profile looked like. So I'd see myself calm and ease going through the course. But that was maybe, you know, five to ten minutes of my meditation every day. What would someone getting into practice because i think this is a good point that would that had the race how would they how would they how would they take their meditation leading in you touched upon visualization but maybe more specifically what would someone new to this what would help them calm their nerves or anxiousness or fears 
leading into the race? What could they do in their meditation? I would use the mantra, I am calm. And I would allow myself to feel calm. The calm is already within you. We block it because we fight so much against things. We fight when our packages don't get delivered on time. We fight when um, we get a flat tire. We fight when somebody cuts us off. We fight when the dog's got dirty paws and comes in the house and tracks it on the carpet. When it's exactly what we need in order to show up to find the calm that is within us. So that is a mantra that I would say almost every athlete that's come to me, I ask them, what do you want? And they say, I just want more calm. So that's always the mantra I give people is I am calm. And not just I am calm, I am calm. I want you to feel it. I am calm. I am calm. What does calm feel like? What does it look like? Can you imagine it soaking into your cells? Because that's where the change happens, you guys. It happens on a cellular level. We know we can affect the vibration and the frequency of our cells. Every cell has a positive and a negative charge. We're like little batteries, tens of thousands of cells. I am calm. So that's what I would recommend. Just focusing on calm. Because when you're calm, you're invincible. When you're calm, you can navigate anything. When you're calm, you're present. And when you're, yeah, when you're calm, that is an, that is an essence of presence, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, Tracy, uh, what caused your soul to be left and how did you get yourself out? What did you say to yourself? So you did a post. <laughs> yeah. You teased everybody a little bit. <clears throat> I did. What did you say in that post? Uh, I had posted a picture on Yogi Triathlete of me in Red Canyon. And I said, you know, I may or may not have left a piece, of, piece or two of my soul here. And... So a couple of people had this question. And the Red Canyon Loop is now, of course, my favorite part of the course, right? It's got to be my favorite part now because it was so unexpected. And I think that's what it is. And, and shining a light on how I had an expectation that I was going to get into Red Canyon. And it was like, I kept saying this to people like, I kind of feel like that was a little glossed over, a little glossed over in the race guide. Like you're going to go through the Red Canyon aid station, you're going to do a five mile loop and then you're going to come back, right? So my, the mind was like, just do the five miles, nice little jog and then BJ will be there. So it was like, I, right? So I say the race guide kind of glossed over it, but who glossed over it? I glossed over it. I glossed over that five mile loop. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was going to be like this kind of like little five mile. I'm like, I'll be out and back in an hour. No problem. Because I had been right on schedule. Like mm -hmm. I left the 25 mile mark and I had eight miles to go to get to Red Canyon. And I said, I'll be there in about two hours. And there was a bunch of climbing up and down, super steep, absolutely gorgeous section of the course. Got there, boom, right in two hours. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm totally going to break 12 hours on this course, right? So expectation, expectation. And um, so I, you leave the Red Canyon aid station, you get on like this bike path. And I'm looking at the people who are coming down and everybody looks like, they just look like something had just like ripped a piece of their soul out of them. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. They must not be as strong as me. So um, I love how the mind plays those little, yeah. little stories. And thank you to the girl who said to me, make sure you turn right at the arrow. She said, people are missing the arrow and they're, 
and they're going, they're doing the loop backwards. You don't want to do the loop backwards. I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. Right. We're always given exactly what we need. And not too far up was a sign that said Bryce hundred mile with an arrow. So I could totally see if you were doing the 50 mile, like, oh, wait, I don't go that way because the 100 milers go that way. And the funny thing is, is that the 100 milers didn't even do the Red Canyon Loop. So, <clears throat> so we were going up this, this uh, bicycle path and it's like all uphill. So I was like, well, I'll just walk. And then when I get on the loop, right, <laughs> the loop, that'll be, I'll just kind of cruise. And so then I get off the bike path and I start going up the loop. You know, I'm going up and I'm going up and then all of a sudden I'm like going straight up and, and it's switchbacks and I'm like, whew, okay, well, I should be coming around now anytime, dropping down, looping back and it just kept going up and it just kept going up and the wind started to get real. it was so, it was absolutely gorgeous. The wind started to get really strong. Thunder started. I looked up. The sky was black. And all I could see when I looked up was the trail. I was like, oh, no. It's not going to go up there. Like, I'm not going to go over that ridge. I'm going to loop around and come back and go. And then it's all going to be downhill. It's going to be amazing. So I was trying. It was a fight. I was, I was fighting, mm -hmm. in essence, right? I was saying, no, that's not the trail. So you go up and up and up and up. And now I'm on this like ridge line and literally I'm holding onto my hat. I got one arm around a hoodoo and I was like, okay, just have a breath. Cause I could feel the fear. It's thundering. The sky is black. There's not a soul around. Again, I was like, where's the mountain lion about to jump out and have lunch. And it's windy. And I'm like, I'm only like 115 pounds. Like I could totally get blown off this ridge. And then I just like felt my arm on on the clay and I just relaxed and I asked that piece of earth to just give me the power and this actually sounds probably a little more dramatic than it was but it is how it played out and um so then I come over this ridge thinking like okay well then I should be able to see the road and the bike path and I was like all I could see was this freaking canyon I'm like I don't even know how is this five miles so it's so interesting because I had an expectation. The course did not meet that expectation. So the mind wanted to fight it every step of the way. Like, how is this five miles? This isn't five miles. How is this? You know, and the funny thing was, is that I knew I was in for something because when I had reached the 50K mark, I looked and we weren't even at a third of the elevation that needed to be climbed. So of course I'm doing math, right? Which never do math for an ultra marathon because the distance is never accurate. The elevation is never accurate, right? But I'm and, still, I'm and doing And your mind math. isn't in the right place to do math. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I'm like, <laughs> still like, yeah, you're either coming in last place or you're winning. So when I say like I left a bit or two of my soul up there, it's because it was very dramatic. The landscape was probably the most dramatic. It was treacherous. Like it was treacherous conditions at times. Like there was times where I, I still kind of wish I took my camera out at this one point because I was just laughing. Like this hairpin turn on the side of a cliff and it's all loose rock and clay. And then finally came down the other side and started to see other people. Um, and I saw this guy who was in front of me 
And every time I saw him, I would see him up. I was like, oh my God, we're still climbing. So we kind of came down, got into the base of the canyon and climbed again. So essentially, according to my calculations, that five mile loop was like 2,000 feet of elevation. So when you're thinking that you're going to go out and do a two mile loop like on a prairie and then you get 2,000 feet of elevation, like it's going to... It's going to take a bit of your soul for sure. Um, but it, I just, I, lo- I loved it because I loved the dramatics of the wind and the black clouds and the thunder and the lightning. And, um, and then I had met these guys. Um, they were from Colorado and we ran in together. Once we hit the crazy switchback, um, super steep coming down into this um, campsite. I was never so glad to see cars because I was like, oh my God, like it's car accessible. And then we got back onto the, um, onto the bike path and we started running and I was running with these two guys and we were just laughing like how crazy it was. And as people were coming up, we were telling them like, don't miss that, like don't miss that turn. So um, how did I pull myself out? I have to say like, you know, I never really felt like I had any high or low throughout the day and that is the beauty of a of a disciplined meditation practice it just takes out like the high and low dramatics now that doesn't mean that the mind wasn't wanting to pull me into a high or low but my state my inner being was pretty calm because what are my choices what am I not going to finish of course I'm going to finish it So it was like my only choice was to keep moving forward and complaining about it or being negative about it just doesn't work for me. So that's not something that I choose. It was just very unexpected how cray that section was at like mile, you know, 32. And then now, of course, watch is totally off. Like I'm at mile 30, I'm at mile like 40 coming into the Red Canyon aid station and they're telling me that I'm only at mile like 36. And then that's another thing. You're like, okay, mind, shut up. Get back on the vine and stay there because what are you going to do? Not finish? Of course you're going to finish. So just shut up about the distance. And now, of course, like my elevation is off and all of that. But then I'm calculating. I'm like, oh, now I only have this. And and that didn't even end up because I ended up climbing. My watch said like over 1,300 more feet than what the course said you know and that you just have to laugh at because that's the nature of ultra um after the race though the race directors did say like you guys we had to do some scrambling because there were some land sales and so we know the course was off and we apologize for that because that was a pretty significant elevation difference um you know my I think I ended up having like 53 miles or something so that's not that bad it's like 5k more and we're doing 50 it's like it's like when you buy a house right you're like ah throw it in whatever we'll roll it in okay that sounds great because when you're spending five hundred thousand dollars what's five hundred and fifty thousand dollars it's nothing (laughs) (laughs) I love that whole analogy of the mind constantly, it constantly wants to know and it's doing math. Yeah. So that's what, you know, that's the thing, you guys, you're not going to escape the ego. The ego works through the mind. It works through the thoughts that the thoughts are the organ for the ego. So as long as you're in the body, you're going to have the ego. I think people think that if you meditate or whatever, like you don't have that shit anymore. And that is untrue. It's how you respond. Your response, my response dictates my reality. My response in every moment is the precursor to what I'm creating in my life. And that starts... I feel like this is another like... But, ding. but it starts long before you lined up at yeah, the right you don't, start. 
Yeah, race day is not the so day to is, start. But no. it, had you not done anything, then I guess race day would be the day to start. <laughs> it's just not going to be that pretty. So, um, so yeah, Trace, I love that question. It was, uh, it was an unexpected. I just love when, you know, let's face it, I think I got it, right? Like, I think I got it. I got the keys to the kingdom. And uh, I love how I'm constantly surprised and challenged by this human that I have to, you know, uh, express in this life because she uh yeah she sometimes has expectations that are not met well that's that's the that's the whole thing we do is the process versus the outcome right you're so entrenched in the process the day-to-day and the outcome is just the outcome of that particular day or that particular race or that particular um, aid station it's just that it keeps changing and when you can remove that expectation almost you remove time and you're just out there gathering time, right? It doesn't really matter what, what the watch says because as we both know for a fact that the data can be wonky right. and untrue. So if you invest a lot in that, then you're going to create some suffering unless your relationship to it is something that you just shared where it doesn't really matter. It's just another data point. Yeah, and so one of the things that I did use to quell the, to just quell the, uh, the mind stuff, right, is, um, which is the whole goal of yoga, is to cease the fluctuations of the mind. You what know? does that mean? That means the mind, or cease the fluctuations of the mind stuff. So basically to quiet the mind. My mind was pretty quiet. It was acting up during the Red Canyon Loop for sure. Um, but I will say one of the other things that I was doing there was just like, do this, do everything with love, just like every step with love, do no harm, tread lightly, do it all with love and without attachment. And let's face it, girl, it's five freaking miles. Shut up. You still have 13 more to go. <laughs> yeah, already... Even after you've done that. <laughs> right. But because that's where I met you. And I just want to touch upon that after this next question. How, what was that? Co- when I came in, because I, I remember being like, holy. Well, I was watching the other people come in. <laughs> and I was talking to the, the support crews for the people who were out on that loop. Some who had been out there for two hours and 45 minutes. Wow. So, yeah. That. Oh, by the way, that yeah. one hour loop took me an hour and 45 minutes. So it took this gentleman two hours and 45 and he stopped. He was done after that. But he wasn't the only one. There were a lot of people who were bagging it at that point. I think that was probably, that was a huge withdrawal from the bank. Huge withdrawal, which is awesome. In my mind too, you know, five miles, five and a half miles, you know, an hour, hour 15 max, you know, just crush it and do a little spin around and now we head home. That was not the case. There were people bent over. And really sucking wind at that aid station. I was there for a while because I had anticipated. Well, first of all, I wasn't sure I was going to get there, right? That was still a little bit up in the air. I wasn't sure if I was going to come meet you to to pace you. But I think both you and I knew all along that somehow it was going to happen. And Vera hooked us up. Vera hooked Uh, us up. She cruised over and got me there. But I showed up at a time where I thought you would, I gave you a little extra time too. And it took you longer than that so i was sitting at that aid or standing at that aid station for a little bit longer but um yeah people coming in were not looking good not looking good even you were like i think i have a photo of you and you're like giving a high five to the air or the red canyon i guess it was but um you got your poles you got hydrated you got your stuff ready and we headed out for that last stretch and gum i had a piece of gum that is my thing peppermint gum in drop bags like oh because you're 
There was one point, there's like this section of the course where it's like 10 miles. It's really like from mile nine to 19. You're just on this stretch of dirt road. And like I took my tongue across my teeth and it was like Bryce Canyon was on my teeth. It was like dirt and dust. And um, so, yeah, so gum in the drop bag is money. That's a good tip. What else? Lube, lube, like there is no tomorrow. Squirrels, nut butter. Chafe, safe. No chafe. No chafe, no broken skin, no blisters, no nothing. And this girl's got thighs that rub together with every step. My amazing, gorgeous, strong thighs. So lube, lube, lube. And the lube, because it was so dry, it was like I was lubing like nuts because it would just, my skin would just soak it in because it's coconut oil based. And it's not synthetic. And they have a vegan version, you guys. So um, squirrels, not butter. It's it's money. Money, 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 money. All right. Let's uh, jump to the last question. Okay. Deep the, and then I want to talk to you. Deep the, how did you navigate <laughs> okay. the challenging times? And what was running through your head during those challenging times? So I would say- And what do you consider challenging? Yeah. So uh, the challenging, there, were, there was some- um, I would say if we're talking about the challenging times, yes, I just talked about Red Canyon, but what came after Red Canyon was no cakewalk either. That was the last 13 miles, which took four hours. And um, the mind jumped in the front seat and was just like trying to get the keys from me the whole time. It was like, even though I knew my watch was off what the course was, even though I knew my elevation was not what the race guy said, the race guide said, it was like constantly wanting to know where the finish was. Okay, it's over this ridge. Okay, it's over this ridge. Okay, it's over this ridge. So there, that last 13 miles, I would say I was in a battle of the mind. Um, so what do I do? I let the battle happen and I keep bringing my awareness back and I keep moving forward move forward, just keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. So the medicine is presence. The medicine is bringing your awareness to the present moment because in the, in the now, there are no problems in the now. And what do you want to focus on? You want to focus on what you don't want or you want to focus on what you want? You know, what I wanted was safe passage. I wanted the finish line as soon as possible. So I aligned my actions with that. I took the time to look at that gorgeous, bright green field up, you know, in contrast to the clay and, you know, the alive trees and the dead trees and the little, you know, surprising water crossings. And um, then that surprise aid station, which I completely removed from my memory. I was like, oh my God, an Before aid we station. crossed the water, the guys that gave you Coke. Yeah, yeah. and Pringles. And Pringles. Yeah. Um, and everything you guys at the aid stations was all pre-packaged. So there was nothing cooked or cut. So aid station offerings were reduced, which is fine. I don't eat a lot off the aid stations. I do love pickles. And instead of having pickles, they had pickle shots, which were like, it's like doing a shot of SoCo. It was legit. So I had had a pickle shot before I went to Red Canyon. That was a good move. Um, but yeah, that, that aid station. And then I remember looking at the board, which tells you where you're at in the race. And I felt like we had been already going forever. And you were telling me this. You're like, oh, we're going to come up in an aid station at 42 miles. And I'm like, no, that 
he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Like, that's not going to happen because we're way past 42 miles. And we get to the aid station, and I'm like, oh, my God, 42 miles. Like, at this point, my watch is now saying, like, 47 miles. And again, like, in the end, it only ended up being about three miles off us. But the mind was, it was just a little, it was a little overtired little brat um, that was last uh, 13 miles. So, deep the, I just... It's the practice of present moment awareness. It's the knowing that in the, in the now, there are no problems. There are no problems in the now. Now, when I first heard that, I first heard that in yoga teacher training in 2013. I was like, bullshit. That's bullshit. There are no problems in the now. I get a mortgage to pay and I don't have the money to pay it. Well, is the mortgage due right now? No, it's actually not. When's the mortgage due? Tomorrow. Okay, so what's your problem? What's your problem? You don't know what's going to happen between now and tomorrow. And if there's one thing I've learned from risking so much in my life is that you have no idea what's coming in the next moment. You have no idea what's coming in the next moment. I mean, I remember times of being like, oh my, like, how are we going to pay the rent? And going to the mailbox and being like, oh my God, we just got an insurance refund check for $1,500. You know, like, oh my God, you never know what's going to happen. So we stay, I stay in trust. I stay in allowing, allowing, you know, I am not the doer. There is something way more powerful, intelligent, loving, and magical than me that is out there organizing on my behalf all the time. So it's an overall mindset that, um, that is super helpful to have all of these things in your library of strong mindsets. Like, what can I be grateful for right now? Um, there is, I am not weak or fatigued. Like, I, there's so much abundance. There is, I'm fine. I'm moving. Like, I'm moving right now. Like, I'm running right now. There are no problems right now. So it's always coming back to the present moment. The present moment is it. And it's a skill. And you got to flex that muscle every single day. And not just every single day, but the moments within each day. And that's what it takes. And nothing less. And that's the mental, mental reps. All those experiences throughout the day. Because mm -hmm. there's plenty of them. Make your life a meditation. Right there, exactly. Make it a meditation. <laughs> that's it. Pay attention on purpose. You will be the best athlete you can possibly be if you just make your life a meditation. Pay attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. Pay attention to the thoughts that you're indulging. Pay attention to the judgments that you are fueling. Pay attention to the negative self-talk. Pay attention to the laziness. Pay attention to excuses that you classify as reasons. Pay attention. And your life and what unfolds in your life will make so much more sense and you will realize that you are creating it all because the universe is just going to give you back what you're putting out there. And in fact, not only are you going to get it back, it's going to multiply. So what we send out into the world goes into the cosmic consciousness. It multiplies and it comes back to us. And the unconditional love says, well, it doesn't matter if it's what we consider good or bad because if it's good, it's going to be multiplied as good. And if it's bad, it's going to be multiplied as bad because that's exactly what we need to wake up and start to realize that we are a small percentage of what's available. And when we connect in with source, 
There's nothing that we cannot accomplish. There is no limit to our love. And we will see what actions we are taking the, that are not aligned with our goals. And everything's going to make more, so much more sense. And we'll be able to remove those actions, adopt new actions, and reach our goals all the time. doesn't have to be so dramatic. I love that. I wanted to wrap this up, but um, maybe with this question. This is one thing I, I noticed. Uh, you bookended the race with two falls. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to witness one of them. Mm-hmm. And the way that you process the falls is is quite um, impressive. You know, it's it's not. It's you fall gracefully, <laughs> or you're getting to be um, really good at how you tumble and and fall and roll over. But you're very verbal with it. You know, you're very um, uh, vocal with your your reactions. But it has nothing to do with the judgment on the fall or or good or bad, it's just how you process that experience. So how did you get to that point? Like, how do you, is that just your natural, is that your natural state? Well, put some words around that. What do you, what do you what's your observation of the, what I verbalize? Um, just the, whew, and the, wow, and, the, <laughs> and the, the, the dramatics of it. But you don't get caught up in the dramatics of it, is what I'm trying I, to say. I feel like I did, like for me, it's just discharging yes. the energy. yeah. But I always say thank you because I'm always fine. Like I have yet to put a rock through my eye. You know, I'm always so thankful. I had fallen around mile five of the race on a downhill on a dirt road and I kind of skidded and I ripped up my elbow a little bit. And I remember thinking later on in the race, like, oof, I wonder what, oof, I don't want to, fa- I don't want to fall on that elbow again. And that's exactly what I did with like less than a mile to go. I skid on that same elbow. And you know what? It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, it's, um, I was born through a woman who has an insanely strong mindset. From as early as I can remember, she would always tell me like, just, just be in this moment. Don't rush your life. Just be right where you are. Presence is the gift. That's why they call it a present, Jess. The present moment is the gift, not yesterday or tomorrow. And it made me crazy. Like as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, when everybody in school was making their plans for sleepovers, and I'd be like, oh, can I go over to Mara and Martha's house? You know, the twins, like the token twins. They were always so cool. And um, can I go over to their house for a sleepover? And my mother would say, well, we'll see what Friday brings. I was like, we'll see what Friday brings. I got to go back to school and I got to face everybody. What am I going to say? Oh, we'll see what Friday brings. I'm in eighth grade, you know? So she was always, I mean, I would say I came through her on purpose. And um, she was constantly there to remind me about the present moment and gratitude and always gratitude no matter how my dad getting laid off from work we lived in a big house we drove expensive cars and there were so many times where they were financially strapped and my mother would always just say like we're going to be provided for 
Like, we're going to be okay. Like, it's okay. And she was always looking, and she's still like that. At 87 years old, she is completely unfazed by, like, the whole COVID thing. Like, she was like, I'm going out every day, and that's that, you know? And she really, she started wearing a mask only because she realized that everybody was so uncomfortable with her not wearing one. And then legally, she had to wear one, and she was, like, kind of pissed about that because she doesn't like to be told what to do. Um, but so, yes, so from a very young age, I've had an extremely grateful attitude. I have had present moment awareness. Um, that was nothing new to me when I started meditation. So even though there were many times in my life where I struggled extremely dark, uh, went extremely dark in many phases in my life, um, that mindset was always, it was always there. So yeah, I mean, when I fall, it's like... I'm fine. I was fine. I was totally fine. Um, so yeah, did I answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I call, and then I, I continue to strengthen and flex that muscle every day, and I have my whole life. And meditation just compounded it so that the darkness doesn't have a hold on me. The monkey mind doesn't have a hold on me. Um, the catastrophizing that we do as humans, it doesn't have a hold on me because this is a game. This life is a game. Everybody just needs to like relax a little bit. You don't have to fight for your worth. You don't have to fight to matter. You're loved unconditionally simply because you exist. Do everything with love and without attachment. And you'll see quickly that this life is a beautiful gift and not one moment should be wasted. So should someone, now that you've experienced this this race um, post-pandemic, um, people are going to start racing again. Yay, good. Right. I, I feel the alignment of this race organization moving forward was in perfect alignment with how we live our lives and how we need to be on that edge, the cutting edge of of keeping momentum going no matter what it takes. What can you share about keeping that momentum going and how important it is no matter what, whether there's a race or no race? To just keep moving forward. Well, if you're not keeping momentum, if you're, if you're not awake and ready, if you're not paying attention to your life, then life is just having its way with you. You're creating by default. Some things work out. Some things don't work out. You have bad days. You have good days. Sometimes you feel connected with your spouse. Sometimes you don't feel connected with your spouse. And I think that there's some kind of mind-numbing hypnosis that we're all under that that is acceptable. I don't find that to be an acceptable um, prescription for life. So it's this close examination of how you're moving through the world and you'll see the momentum you're creating. Now, if you say you want to do something, pay attention because momentum is always being created. It's very, very simple to direct the momentum in the direction that you want to go. Your actions have to follow your desires. If your actions, and thoughts are things, so thoughts, words, actions, those are all things. Those are all momentum creators. And there's, because there's feeling behind 
all of them. And the feeling is what the, the true creation is born from. So everything is always changing. That is the nature of this world, you know? So it's like we've got to stop fighting to stay the same and allow ourselves to be done in a way where we are in trust of that 90%, but we're doing our 5% to create the momentum. Because remember, it's going to be multiplied and brought back to you. This is Newton's third law, if you want to bring it back to science. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's words, that's thoughts, that's actions. So it's incredibly important, I think, if you want to live a great life, is to... Um, Create momentum in the direction of the life that you desire because that is your birthright. And not only is it your birthright, I believe it's your responsibility because what's put on your heart is not there by happenstance. It's there because it's what you came here to express. And I promise you 100%, you live that way, it will ask you to do scary things every single day. But anybody who's living that way will tell you, oh yeah, every day is scary in the best way possible. So it's like you can create by default or you can create on purpose. And when you create on purpose, I mean, it doesn't matter. Either way, you're going to have this, that non-physical support helping you because it's either going to drive you into the darkness where you're finally going to hit your sucks enough moment and you're going to wake up or it's going to drive you in the direction of where you want to go. So uh, momentum is crucial because there's no way that you can stop momentum. It's just what direction is the momentum going in. It's never stagnant. Either right. Moving and, forward and moving back. And the only reason why we don't stay in this slipstream of the direction of the life that we desire, the person we desire to express in this life, is because we introduce doubt. And fear. Yeah. And we try and intellectualize ourselves into everything. We got we to make the choices that make the most sense. And that makes no sense at all, actually. I love it. I love it. All right. Okay. I think we're good. All right. Congratulations on blazing the way. Oh, I'm going to find another race. I can't to wait. To getting racing back on the calendar. I would like to say that um, I see absolutely no reason why the trail community cannot be back online racing. I really, I really don't. Yeah, I agree with that firsthand. I've seen everything that went down. It was and the good news is, um, really I've clean. already been in touch with um, Skip Brand, race director for Lake Sonoma, also on the board of a race alliance. Race director Alliance has reached out, and I gave him feedback, and he's going to take it to the race directors, um, and of course incorporate it to. Hopefully, uh, maybe he can get some races on the calendar too. But um, yeah, I see, I see no, I see no reason why the trail community can't be back online you know everybody just you stay within the guidelines um you obviously don't show up if you have covid <laughs> um uh, or some kind of horror you know horrific contagious disease um but remember everything is a is based on your point of attraction so um and this covid uh thrives and lives and grows on fear and doubt so nullify all doubt in fear. Yeah. And get back mm -hmm. to racing, you guys. And if anybody is a race director or knows a race director, they want some um, feedback from somebody who just experienced uh, an ultra marathon during a global pandemic, um, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions um, and, uh, and get everybody back online. Awesome. Amazing. You're amazing. You crushed another race. <laughs> so blessed to be part of this experience with you and to, to walk this life 
unafraid together. Hmm. Thanks for being my coach. You guys, he's an amazing coach. If you're not coaching with Beach, I hate to say it, but I think you're missing out. Ooh.